On today's episode, the team is reviewing and dissecting the recent Becker's Healthcare article, Health Systems in 10 Years, 20 Predictions from Top Executives. Remote activity and telehealth are here to stay, and MedTech needs to acclimate to that new normal. Patients are looking for sources and solutions that have high ratings and offerings that meet them where they are, which is online. Healthcare is delivering. Let's hear from the MedTechspert team as they break down their key takeaways on this episode of the MedTech Business Academy. Welcome back, MedTechsperts. Glad to uh, be able to work on getting our MBA together here uh, with my esteemed guests, uh, Barbara Strain and Skender Derti. And as always, this is Scott Alexander. Um, And we are going to be talking about a really interesting article that Barbara shared with us earlier today, Um, it's 10 uh, business leaders in the hospital space that are all going to be speaking at Becker's, which as of this shooting or uh, this recording uh, is going to be coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, Their vision for what the future of healthcare is going to look like, and and then we're going to talk about how that impacts you as a business leader in the medical device, uh, medical technology space. So Barbara, do you want to kick us off? What was the article and what were the big takeaways? Sure. Thanks, Scott. Um, These kinds of things always interest me. One is you read it and you hope you're going to glean something from it or you read it and it's you can't really put it down. So I, I think it's a must read for everyone in the healthcare industry, especially med tech device uh, manufacturers, suppliers, distributors, et cetera, because it's going to affect them. So I'll I'll. The article is health systems in 10 years, what do they predict they're going to look like? And it's 20 predictions. Now, some of them might be more than one per person, but these are executives. Some are CEOs, some are other type executives at a higher up level. And Becker's actually did this as a preclude to their 13th annual meeting that's going to be April 3 through 6. So hopefully this will be posted within the next you know few weeks or so, and you'll have an opportunity to do that. This is not a paid advertisement for Becker's. This is like of interest. So if you want to ask more questions or whatever, you know where to go to find the information. But um, I'm going to cue in on on one of the MDs uh, who's a PhD and founding dean and chief executive officer at at Kaiser. His name at the Bernard uh, Tyson School of Medicine. So lots of titles and things there. But I love his lead in says the future of hospitals might not actually unfold in hospitals. Now, we've been told all along, especially over the last three years, you know, telehealth is now really going to take off and this remote care and monitoring at home and um, remote visual exams and vital signs and lab tests and all the video conferencing and everything is we're going to solidify all that. Now, we've kind of heard that a lot, but I think there's some really good takeaways in the article from a lot of different leaders in organizations that, you know, have their pens and pencils out trying to figure out what are we going to look like? Skinner, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I I think we're at an interesting crossroads, right? I mean, there's been that talk of all this remote uh, activity and and tele everything for years 
And then COVID came and it actually made it a pronounced, it made it of pronounced importance. So I think the aptitude, the ability, the acclimation, the want to acclimate is there more so than ever before. Um, I think one of the things that I always talk about with, with our customers is the idea of the consumer behavior and the mindset of the consumer. And I always like to talk about the fact that we always kind of separate doctor from person, hospital CEO from person. Yet when you strip it down and they go home, they're the same ones that are likely buying batteries and toilet paper from Amazon, just like all of us, mm-hmm. right? And maybe it's not them, maybe it's their husband, their spouse, whoever it may be that's doing it. But in the end of the day, they're still doing it. And at the end of the day, regardless of how benign the purchase is, the thought of the consumer has become one where we are active and engaged in every process. And what do I mean by that is when you are buying batteries or you're buying toilet paper on Amazon or wherever it may be, you are still looking for the source that has the most reviews with the highest star rating. That's an active level of engagement that we didn't have 10 years ago. And how does that relate to healthcare? Well, the consumer, i.e. the patient, is becoming much more active. They have more options. They don't just have to go to hospital X anymore. They, you know, I mean, Walgreens just made that huge acquisition, right? I can't remember how many zeros were at the end of it for CityMD and Summit Health. That's a big acquisition that's going to change the way the consumer approaches things, right? 20 years ago, we didn't have 15 urgent care clinics around every neighborhood. You went to your primary care doctor who kind of dictated Mm -hmm. the way the rest of your your therapy or whatever your treatment was going to go. Today, you're like, eh. I'm going to go to this urgent care clinic for that, or it's just this and it's a cough. I don't want to go to my primary care and have to wait in line or whatever it is. And I can, I can check in online at this urgent care clinic. It's think about that. Just that simple thing has changed Mm -hmm. as opposed to 20 years ago. We're just like, Dr. Smith is my, my primary care physician. I've got a cough. I've got a broken leg. I started Dr. Smith and we figure it out from there. Do you have a primary care physician? I I don't. I guess I think I do because I have a person that I've gone to for a number of years, but I actually haven't seen him in a couple of years. Yeah, I haven't I haven't been to a primary care doc in uh, quite literally for as long as I can remember. Like, I can't remember the last time I went to a primary. And part of it may be that I uh, am arrogant enough that I think I'm a doctor, just didn't go to medical school. Uh, but But no, like, if I need to go to a specialist, uh, I go to a specialist. If I need to, um, something's wrong. If I, you know, am sick, then I go to urgent care. But um, I haven't been to a primary care doctor in at least twenty years. And think about that: twenty years ago, you wouldn't have thought you would have known your primary care doctor intimately. Yep. And you would have known that I have to go to them for everything. And you're not alone in that. Yeah. So I'm on the other end of the age spectrum. So for <laughs> Medicare and my insurance and stuff, I have a primary care. I go to my nurse visit, take the test, remember the three keywords, you know, how are things going? 
So the attempt is there to keep us healthy. And because we've worked for so long in things, mm -hmm. the cost is very low. So it, it's an attempt to keep us healthy. However, if you look at statistics, you know, 70% of adults are probably walking around with hypertension mm -hmm. and don't know it. Yeah. Until they keel over or whatever one day, right? Mm -hmm. So in order to fix a lot of that and keep the cost of healthcare, keep people healthy and make sure that they're not afraid to seek care, you have to make it more on their terms, just like you're talking about, right? Yeah. It has to be a low key, not a stressful event. You know, I'm going to the store to pick up, you know, some snacks and some drinks. And by the way, I'm going to stop by and, and the little counter and have some blood tests and things done. Mm -hmm. Right. So it, it and there are preventative things that can be done that aren't very invasive or anything. But once you go over that threshold to invasiveness, Mm -hmm. Then you're on this slippery slope of, okay, now I have to take medication for this, but I had this. And then it just compounds and things are happening. And then that's where all the costs add up in the hospitals. Yeah. You, you, you've heard you've heard the story of, uh, or the the quote, you know, Willie Sutton he used to rob mm -hmm. banks. Right? Yeah. So that, and, you know, why, why do you rob banks? He says, that's where the money is. Money is, yeah. Right? Yeah. I rob banks because that's where the money is. And I think, I think that's the reality, you know, getting back to the article and where we're going, yep. that's the reality of what it is. And if you look at kind of the future of healthcare, I think we can all agree with a, a couple of things that are said. Number one, it's not in the hospital, right? Whether it's hospital to home, whether it's remote patient monitoring, whether it's moved to ASCs, it is the idea that that as a sales professional, or a marketing leader or a CEO of a medical device company, you're going to be doing the majority of your selling into a you know thousand bed hospital in a major metro area. That's not what the world's going to look like. Um, and and the thing that I find is interesting because again I'm sarcastic, bordering on on cynical, is I don't know that the heads of most health systems have read that same memo. If you look at the towers that are being built, right? The money that's going into infrastructure. I think they think that's what's going to happen, but I, I, everyone else seems to seems to think opposite. And and really, if you want to see the health of your business, you need to look at your customers' customers, right? Because ultimately, they're the ones that are feeding your customers to then feed you, right? It's sort of circle of life, Lion King kind of kind of thing. Um, Simba being held up on the rock. The, the, the story, exactly. Um, the, if we look at that, who's paying the money? More and more, it's a consumer, right? And more and more, it's uh, deductibles and, um, uh, high, you know, like for me to go to uh, the ER is $400. That's And that's not outlandish compared to what a lot of people pay. And so if that's the case, you better believe that we're looking for lower cost uh, care locations. How do I go to an urgent care instead of an ER, that sort of thing. And so then what does that do to your business? 
you need to figure out how you can manage a more distributed network of customers um, with lower volumes, uh, maybe higher turnover, and um, you need to be able to do it with margins that are acceptable to your investors, right? And that's, not, I won't say that that's impossible because it's not. It's just not as easy as it was back 20 years ago where all the surgeries that were, were being done in big houses in major metro areas and, um, you know, you had one buyer instead of lots of buyers. So the definite, def, definite difference that's going to impact a lot of business models out there. Well, I think one of the things that come, I love your point that you raised about the construction as being a potential leading indicator to look at, because I think it's an interesting nuance. However, as you look at this article, one of the things that comes out of it that maybe overlays that, and it goes with what we're seeing, mm-hmm. and that is there is enhanced focus on specialization today mm-hmm. more so than ever, right? Outside of the rural areas, in the major urban markets and mid, many of the suburban markets, there are no longer orthopedic surgeons. Okay, there are orthopedic surgeons, there are spine surgeons, there are ankle surgeons, there are hip surgeons, there are knee surgeons. Okay, mm-hmm. and they tell you, whereas again, still in the rural areas, you might have your orthopedic surgeon. Okay, but in the urban and suburban areas, they will tell you, Oh, I'm an ankle guy, you need to go see uh, Dr. Mark, who's the knee guy. That's the person that you need to go and speak with, right? So I think one of the things that I took in line with what you're saying is there may be the potential for these 10-story institutions to become more specialized in those procedures, whereas even now today, okay, yes, obviously there's 10 OR suites, there's three specials rooms, a, a mm-hmm. cardiac cath lab, et cetera. Maybe it becomes one of those things where one of those buildings now becomes the cardiac cath lab center, mm-hmm. right? Um, the other building becomes the complete orthopedic location. And now you as the consumer aren't, aren't just going to look and saying, you know, St. Elsewhere Hospital is where I go to for all my procedures. No, St. Elsewhere is now St. Elsewhere Heart. Mm-hmm. What do you think happens then with like personal medical records? Does that, does that become a thing? Well, that's why... You know, the the epics of the world and those sorts of things. And and Kaiser's had their own uh, homegrown and then they went out in the market and things. But I can go anywhere and my record follows me and things. And and it's it's so since you haven't been, you know, to a primary care doc for a long time and things, there's all these things out there, Scott. But uh, anywhere I can access. Yeah. What's this epic thing you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. I can access all of that stuff. So we, we've we almost conquered that piece. Now, there's still some little gaps and things like that, but they can be easily fixed. And, um, you know, like when you go on vacation or you're thinking of going to somewhere for a couple months or whatever, it's easy. You're portable. You, you, we've really pretty much gotten there. There's still yeah, some things. Yeah. And um, the thing piggybacking off what Skinder was saying, not only are you going to have these separate specialists and things, then you're going to have what that support system is for them. So, I'm thinking that a strategy for medical device companies that if you only have something for a hospital, then how do you diversify 
And I would say you don't wait for 10 years and then think of a plan. I'm thinking in the next three years to five years, you have to think of, do I onboard companies that really isn't related to my business, but it will help to make this sort of stair step to these centers so I can have a presence in St. Elsewhere Heart and St. Elsewhere Orthopedics, et cetera, not just in St. Elsewhere, where all these people are supposed to flood to. Because what we're doing is we're diversifying, and rather than one spot where patients go in in a community, it's going to be spokes. And how do they get to those folks? But when they get there, we want the best, most efficient, cost-effective care at that spot, no matter where it is and how little care they require or extensive care they require, so we can keep that throughput, put them back at home yes. or whatever it goes. So it's a whole big cog and wheel system there. And and frankly, that's why I think there's so many acquisitions happening. You know, you talk mm -hmm. about the portability of the of the medical records, Scott. I think you know there's a reason why you know a twenty billion dollar city MD acquisition happens mm -hmm. because a it's about trying to own that patient at the first step. It's really what it all is. It's about first how do step. I own that patient at step one, right? right. I want to know that you've got a sniffle, right? That's what I want to know because mm -hmm. if I know that. Then I know at some point, if you get the sniffles two weeks later and you still have that, there might be an underlying thing. And now I know that and I can market, right? This is advanced right. marketing. This is no longer the, the provider sitting there waiting to have people come to them. Yeah. This is them trying to find the patients. And if you yeah. have a sniffle two weeks later and you walk into another city MD, now I know that I've got targeted, and you know this, I've got targeted marketing going right to Scott Alexander, mm -hmm. yeah, that tells you about certain things. I mean, this goes back to was it five, ten years ago when all the health systems were buying up the primary care practices, right? I mean, this just kind of further furthering the trend. Um, the the thing that I find really interesting is, and again, this has probably gotten better over time, is how hard it was for health systems to integrate those primary care practices into their referral channels. So mm -hmm. that you know, what tended to happen was, hey, we just bought Dr. Smith's practice, and he's been referring now out of our health system for cardiology. And guess what happens? He keeps doing that because he he's he doesn't care about like, do I have this jersey on or that jersey on? He cares about, hey, I know Dr. So and so, and he does good work in cardiology, and I've always referred mm -hmm. him for ten years, fifteen years. So, um, yeah. And a number of years ago. It, it just in, you know, regions where hospitals are. And uh, we did a variety of contracts with other hospitals or systems like you're talking about, primary care and things, because what would happen is those referrals would go to, say, someplace 100 miles away, but they'd never come back to that primary care. They would then continue on in whatever system or not, and then they'd all be lost. And so these these other operations would sort of squander 
and, and what was happening. So you're right, Skinder, it's wear the patient first, but you have to get the patient, and I really call them consumers, and they're, they're like us, sitting somewhere in our home or an office or whatever. And how do you get them to some sort of care? And it has to be, like I said, non-scary, non-interventional, because Slippery slope is, well, we're not sure what's wrong with you, but according to these systems, here's two or three prescriptions and I'll treat this and this and that and come back and see me and go here and there. And pretty soon people don't go or they never fill the prescription or whatever. And did they need it in the first place? So this is, and, and another one of the, it, it was from um, Common Spirit was talking about uh you really need to get them in their right immediate setting because there's going to be reimbursement changes. You're going to payers have to be changed. Medical technology needs to change. So where do I need the rapid test kits and, you know, easy to fill prescriptions if needed and all that kind of stuff. But then how do the payers keep up? How do the physicians get paid? This is what I think having a hard time in the provider organizations trying to switch from a fee for service to some sort of value-based care, which is kind of what we're talking about without putting a label on it. It's, it's how do you get at that first level care, but, Who's getting paid by whom and how is that all going to work out? And they're having that trouble. But I think medical technology companies and their CEOs and others that they have on their medical advisory boards and things, forming partnerships with medical technology might mean you don't even buy their product, but they're there to inform you on what could be possible that may lead to you know, purchases at some point or whatever. So what do, what do we do? I mean, I think I think we can all agree the the world is shifting to and and you know lower acuity um, ASCs if you're in the surgery space, whatever the post acute, whatever. What do you do about it? Like if you're running a business and we're in the product development side, yeah, we can start to think about what's a lower acuity solution for our fill in the blank. But if I have a product on market or I'm close to market, so I can't like turn the ship, what do I do differently with this information than I was doing yesterday? I think personally, you need to be doing a lot of intelligence on where are there preconditions mm -hmm. that this is really going on that will help you and you help to target in those areas. You know, Medicare has a lot of reports that you can look at. There are a lot of publicly available reports about where care is not occurring and where there are preconditions, comorbidities to other things. Because what I've really heard a lot about, and I'm glad you brought up marketing, is a lot of the suppliers. That's like all I talk about, Barbara. I know, I know. We were talking about, you know, putting together little fidgety things a, a while ago, but uh, we have lots of riveting conversations. But what they're doing is in certain markets, the med device companies are actually helping, and I think they term it co-market, 
Mm-hmm. So they might help with a marketing plan in certain areas and things because they have expertise in that. But what happens and the effect of that is not only do, might some folks come in for whatever that product and disease state was, but it might bring in another set of individuals who might just want to be screened and you wind up getting business for a lot of other different things. So it's a win-win for both the med device companies and things. So I've been learning things like this as I've been talking to my clients and um, helping to move some of these theories along and things. So I thank you for allowing us to talk about this topic today because I think people just really need to think out of the box and use a lot of their own expertise they have in their companies to really do a dive on this. And it's really a lot of brainstorming. And that's how a lot of these other companies really get started. So you have to really read a lot of tea leaves these days and figure that out. Yeah, I think the other dynamic of, you know, in the essence of skiing to where the puck is going, I I think you have to stop looking at a building as the end of your destination. I think you have to look at the destination as being a series of buildings. And really it's your destination is another journey, right? Typically, typically what's happening now is we all look at it as the buyer journey is general hospital. Okay. And that's the end destination, but really now general hospital is bifurcated, trifurcated, quadfurcated, whatever it is across multiple different buildings So therefore, you now have to create a journey that says, okay, my remote monitoring device is going to be used at the triage center. Mm -hmm. It's going to be used in the primary care center. It's going to be used at the specialty center. Okay. And so I'm no longer looking at that 10-story building and, you know, getting excited about, wow, that's that's 500 devices right there. Like the typical medical device tech does now looking Mm -hmm. at it being like, oh, that's a payday. No, now you have to look at it as six buildings. Mm-hmm. There's higher stakes, right? But you have to look at it from that perspective because that's where it's going. The other thing is, and you brought up a, a topic before about you know the referral patterns of physicians and still going. You're right. And it does meet the averages because the average physician is still 54 years old in our country. However, mm-hmm. they're retiring at a very fast pace. And so the next generations of physicians only know how to be employed. Mm -hmm. They've only been employed, right? The 54-year-old physician typically started out, maybe he started out as an employee, and then within a couple of years, he quickly went to private practice Mm -hmm. and spent the majority of his career there until he sold his practice back in the last few years. But in the last 10, 15 years, if you just came out of medical school, you are likely you've only been an employed position. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So from that perspective, your referral patterns have been dictated to you. Right. That's and you nice. only know what you've been using in things. And they really talk about, we're going to have to do a whole new training mindset with mm-hmm. physicians and nurses and techs and things. And it opens up a whole job market. Go ahead, Scott. Sorry. Uh, it's right. I was I was just going to say that it's an interesting thing to think about sort of the employment, um, both in terms of referral patterns, but also device selection, right? What you're willing to fight for. I mean, right. I, I can I can tell you uh, 
providers that are employed by a hospital system are far less likely to stamp their feet and say, I've got to have X or Y or Z uh, than one who's independent. And I think that that has to play into the commercial model of how you're going to market because you now don't have Dr. Jones who could just demand something and have it show up. So you have to address the three decision makers, the clinical piece, which is obviously still Dr. Jones, but then also the financial and the operational pieces of, okay, why do you need to do this? And then how do you actually implement it into a health system in a way that's efficient and effective for them to be able to do cases, treat patients, whatever it is that your that your device or your product uh, addresses. So it's a very different animal than what we're necessarily used to. Yeah. One of my favorite conversations to have these days is still with the old school orthopedic rep who's mm-hmm. who's still doing very well financially, mm-hmm. has a great life. They have three customers. Yep. Okay. And what I love hearing from them is, oh my God, Dr. Smith just called me to tell me he got a job as chief cross country. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and watching their sheer sense of panic. And I'm not saying it's my favorite thing to do from a sense of morbid perspective, but more from a sense of, okay, well, now you've got to adapt. You've had an incredible run earning way more zeros on your paycheck than most people for the amount of hours you've put in. But you have to look at that, not as the period that was stripped of you, but the period that was great. And now you've got to learn to adapt to today and figure out a way to make up. How are you going to make up for now not having Dr. Smith, but now having to work through a process? Yeah. Here's what I would say, because I feel like uh, one of the things that when we get together, not just us, but like with people that have been in the industry for a while, we we commiserate about like the good old days of like, oh man, it was great that, you know, this money was going on a tree and you just walk by and just grab someone if you want. Like, right? Like, yeah. And, and I would argue now is every bit as good a time as it ever has been, right? I mean, if you think about, let's just think about the, the CEO or owner of a medical device company. Um, and you think about today versus... 10 years ago, it is a much better place to be today because mm-hmm. you can do things today that you couldn't do 10 years ago. You think about fractionalizing your workforce. You think about um, getting direct ass- access as the CEO or owner to uh, providers or you know, customers, right? All these things that you're able to do today that you couldn't do 10 years ago. Um, and And so I think, I don't know, maybe this is just me with a bee in my bonnet, but I feel like a lot of what I hear is like, oh, it used to be great when I could just walk in and see Dr. Jones. Well, the reality is if you figure out what, how to do this, right, how to work inside a health system with a, um, a value analysis committee, you're like light years ahead of everybody else. You should be crushing it, man. Like to be able to go in and talk about not just the clinical, but also the financial and the operational improvements and actually have legitimate value proposition propositions there. Like you, the world is your oyster. So I don't know. That's just my personal reaction when I think about like yesterday versus today and where it's going to go. Like I'd much rather be running a company today than 10 years ago. It's interesting. Yeah. So we're going through a new jump the shark type event mm. here. 
Yeah. Um, because those who haven't co-opted what you were just talking about are still down here. And now we're going to jump again. You know, where do people finally, you know, get the sort of picture and things? But there's so much churn every single day, several times a day. And if you're not keeping up with that, um, like you said, you know, you might be just ready to go to market. Oh, my God, what do I do? And um, it, it can be difficult, but you were smart and you got to where you were. There's mm -hmm. ways to sort of continue to do things. Yeah. Well, I know we've been talking for a good while. It's been a great conversation, um, but it's probably time to uh, to call it to a close. Um, final thoughts, Barbara, what, what do you want to wrap up with? Well, I think it's look, I think I've said this more than once on a close. So I guess I'll keep that up is keep looking inwardly as well as outwardly. And you have to look outwardly to know how do you look inwardly. So don't just keep the blinders on, you know, don't just say I've got a five-year plan, I'm going to stick to it. That's only a living document. Mm -hmm. So keep out there. Look at your data. Look at what's really going on. Where can you affect things? But work together in your communities and things. You'll you'll make a lot better place for healthcare. Mr. Darity. Yeah, I think I, I think the key thing is um the and we talk about this all the time, but the adaptation uh idea. Um, and I thought it was interesting what you just said about, you know, time to be this being the optimal time yeah. uh, to be in the business. And I think that's interesting because most people who have been in the business for 20 years would not agree with you mm -hmm. uh, by a far basis. However, what I can tell you is, you know, we, so my company, we do a lot of voice of customer work and we've been embroiled in a number of big research projects lately. And one of the things that I can tell you is given the times that are there today and all of the chaos that is evolving, and we've been talking to people, very prominent leaders at major institutions who are saying that this time no longer has them committed to the big boys only. Mm -hmm. And they are evaluating everything from product, cost, and support in a mm -hmm. whole new dimension than they ever have before. And whether that comes from the big 20 or it comes from a small company, they want to know who can provide them support. And as healthcare gets more democratized as what we're talking about in the basis of this conversation, moving from the thousand bed hospital to a thousand beds traversed over 20 different beds or 20 different buildings, whatever it may mm -hmm. be, the concept of providing more of a delivery mechanism, more support, more experience is going to be the key. Stop mm -hmm. thinking just, I've got a great product. I'm going to sell it at the right price. Start thinking about that support dynamic. And now you can create a better moat around your business. You're right, Scott. In that perspective today, because that's stuff you couldn't do in the past. Yeah, I'm not going to repeat that line again. <laughs> <laughs> but the you moat. Yeah. A hell of a moat around your business. Yeah, yeah I, I think you're right. And Skinner, I will admit, I think you're right about things uh, from time to time as well. So um, <laughs> even though you're from New Jersey, I, my final thoughts, I I agree with with my uh, esteemed partners on the, the podcast. Uh, ultimately, 
follow the customer's customer, understand where that's going, and then build your business around it and, and look at how you're going to generate value. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. like I could see how a lot of people would say they'd much rather have it 20 years ago if they if that's what you grew up with. But if you're looking to create significant value and and scale a company, I you if you are a small to mid-sized medical device company, you have an opportunity today. Like you, you certainly did not have five to seven years ago. Um, and I can tell you as a guy who was in that period of time was running a multi-billion dollar GPO, like you didn't stand much of a chance to get in and get the preferential uh, position for an agreement because of the things that you just mentioned, Skinder. So um, I think now's the time to go do it. Just identify where those opportunities are and, and then go seize them. Um, yeah. Great. Well, great. Well, everybody, this has been fantastic. Thanks to uh, all the listeners for uh, uh, listening in, joining us to the end. And I um, hope you learned something and look forward to catching you on the next episode. Have a great day. Thank you. Healthcare decision makers are people that are active and engaged in every process. And the solutions that they're seeking currently are digital. Patients are no longer tied to their historically loyal channels, things like primary care physicians. People instead are going directly to the source of information and answers that can meet their needs expediently. MedTech needs to be moving in this direction as well, just as quickly as patients are adopting these technologies to not be left behind. Tune in next time to continue to earn your MBA with the MedTech Business Academy.